Welcome to the Breakwater Podcast. I am your host, Samantha, and this episode kicks off a seven-episode series. Sandy Schaefer, owner of Schaefer Counseling and Consulting, joins us to talk about everything from emotional intelligence to accountability and how the stress of this pandemic is impacting our children and their teachers. Lindsay Lowy also joins us on episode three to talk about screen time, and we have a few other adventures along the way. This episode is all about emotional intelligence, what it is, why we need it, and how we get it. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode and the whole series as much as I enjoyed recording it. Sandy is up next. Sandy, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. This is episode one of a seven episode series with you. It is. And I'm so honored that you asked me to do this. Yeah, I'm really excited. So obviously, I know who you are. I think you're great. But can you introduce yourself and share a little bit about who you are for all of our listeners? Sure, absolutely. So my name is Sandy Schaefer, and I work in private practice. Um, My technical name is under Schaefer Counseling and Consulting, but I am in partnership with Collaborative Wellness. And we have outpatient therapy for all age groups for mental health, substance abuse, and we have a location in Ripon. And the beginning of this year, we opened a second location here in Oshkosh. So we're super excited to be in Winnebago County and in the Oshkosh area and be able to serve kind of the places where many of us live. So we're really excited to be here. Yeah. And our our community, of course, is fortunate to have you as well. Um, I'm excited to see where this goes and how this grows over the years. I am as well. So it's it has started off wonderfully. We are very busy and very grateful that we have had such a warm welcome in the community. I, a little background about myself, so prior to doing private practice, which has always been a dream of mine, um, I am happy to say that I worked in residential treatment for substance abuse for 15 years, so the ability to be able to do mental health along with substance abuse is just so exciting and so really heartwarming to me because it's such a need and I think it is a very underserved area of our community honestly yeah kind of that that bridging between mental health and substance use and where it seems to be there's a weird dividing line sometimes where you're either talking about substance use or you're talking about mental health but not necessarily both of them in the same space at the same time Right, which I find very unfortunate. So I hope part of moving forward, we can really try and bridge that gap and really have it be very cohesive and work together on the same, really the same missions, which is getting everyone the best help that we can get them, no matter on what level it is, be it in schools or workplace or just people in society itself. Yeah, that's really cool. And I feel like we could talk about just this, just that kind of weird (laughs) divide between mental health and substance use for days. But today we're here to talk about emotional intelligence. And this is a topic that I happen to love. 
I've studied and presented on it over the years, but typically for adults, like new supervisor or new manager training in like, how do we manage ourselves in the workplace uh, and that kind of thing. And it wasn't really until I had kids of my own that I started thinking about how emotional intelligence relates to our youth. Um, so I'm super excited to have this conversation to you with, with you on the podcast today. I am too. You are probably more of an expert on this than I am. You have such a good background in this, but I'm happy to discuss it. Yeah, I am an expert on nothing. (laughs) But I do find it interesting. So maybe let's start out with uh, emotional intelligence or sometimes called EQ or EI. What is it? Well, I guess for me, when I think of emotional intelligence or like you said, EI or EQ, it is the emotional part. So we all know what IQ is, right? Like that's the educational, the intellectual piece of us and kind of how smart someone is book wise. Emotional intelligence is really how smart are we in regards to our emotions and the self-regulation of those emotions. So it's using a different part of our brain, right? The the IQ piece of it is very much the cognitive part of our brain Mm -hmm. and emotional intelligence really has to do kind of with that mid part of our brain in regards to the emotions and the feelings that we experience, how we manage them, the coping skills we develop and so forth. Yeah. And it's not something that I think we necessarily think about on an average day, unless you've gone to some sort of emotional intelligence or maybe a mindfulness training at some point you don't necessarily think about how your emotions are driving you throughout the day. Um, so it has kind of four main main components, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. Can you break those down for us a little bit more? Sure, absolutely. So self-awareness, it's really recognizing how our emotions shape our decisions. So we can read and understand emotions of other people, but it's also reading and understanding the emotions of ourself. So oftentimes we want to be aware of the negative or positive talk that we give ourselves, right? So oftentimes we end up, depending upon whatever the behavior is, either reinforcing it and saying, oh my gosh, I did that so well, or it's, wow, I'm a failure. So it's really having that awareness and really trying to create a positive sense of yourself rather than looking only at the negative. So it's that realistic evaluation of our strengths and our limitations, which is so hard for some people. Yeah. So the self-management part of it, or the what I like to call self-regulation is really the thinking before you speak. For many people, we react to a situation, right? And that's kind of that knee-jerk reaction. And so it's the idea that we can slow ourselves enough to actually think, process, and then respond to a situation. And oftentimes that gets in the way of if we don't do that, it gets in the way of responding appropriately many times. So it's really that controlling that impulsivity. It gives us a good sense of self-control, but it also, a 
allows us to be conscientious, right? Yeah. And read other people, read ourselves. One, and I will talk about it a little bit later, but part of it is slowing ourselves down and becoming a little bit more mindful. Yeah. The third category, the social awareness, that's really picking up on the social dynamics and emotional cues from other people. So the empathy piece of it, right? So it's being able to put yourself in the other person's perspective. Yeah. Being able to maybe understand where their feelings and how they're responding to a situation is coming from. So it also is part of kind of that recognizing and meeting people where they are. Be that in your personal life, in your work performance, committees you're on. It's being aware that other people may not be in your same space, but it's so important to recognize that every we need to respect where every person is. Yeah. And that's really hard to do as an adult, much less as we look at trying to do some of this with kiddos, right? Yeah. And then the fourth one, of course, is the social skills or the relationship management. And that's working well with others, right? It's developing communication skills. It's being able to be an influence to others, encouraging others, helping others develop and improve themselves, and having that ability to communicate, be it conflict or praise. It's really building those bonds within relationships with other people and our kids, yeah, and that's a challenge for sure. I, I think for all of us on a daily basis on some level is all of these aspects of emotional intelligence are challenging, you know, managing ourselves, reading others, taking in social cues, and and just managing relationships in general alongside managing your own emotions. Absolutely. Well, and especially the state of the world right now, it just becomes even more important to really get in tune with yourself mm-hmm. and be able to think for yourself, have your own position, how you respond to people and situations. And I know part of Breakwater is really looking at kids too, right? Yeah. Young yeah. adults. And it's so important as parents to really look at how our behaviors how we respond, how in tune we are with our emotions, how that actually affects our children. Absolutely. Because they very much mirror us, don't they? They do, right? And and we are their first teachers, right? And what is it? The same-sex parent is the biggest influence in a child's life. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. So, But, yeah, you don't think about how your everyday actions are shaping your kids' everyday reactions. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the struggles that we're seeing even in our school systems because we can't expect our teachers to be the only teacher in the house, right? We can't expect them to do it all. We have to start with how we engage with our kids. Yeah. So how do you know if you're emotionally intelligent or if your children are emotionally intelligent? Well, I think that's a great question. (laughs) I think part of it is being open to hearing criticism or feedback from other people. Yeah. Which is 
horribly difficult for most of us, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want to know what we're doing wrong or how we maybe responded wrong in a situation. No human being strives for that, I don't think. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's so important that we're, we're open to it, that we're willing to listen, be it from our kids, other coworkers, just people in our community when they say, oh, I'm not sure that was the right approach. Yeah. You know, I think of one of the things that I think of is many of, uh, I know you and I and many of our listeners probably have had that situation where you're standing waiting across the street and your little one like pulls their hand away and like tries to run across the street and as a parent, right, we, our reflex is to like grab the kid and pull him back and, oh my God, I can't believe you just did that and kind of yell or whatever that may be, but it's out of fear, right? Yeah. We're scared. And the, the child isn't aware of the, the risk at that moment. But if we were just to simply yell and I, you know, and kind of berate that child for doing that, it's going to stop there. But it, and, and that's going to be a, a negative emotion that's held, right? And it's going to probably kind of seep into how the rest of your day goes. Yeah. But as a parent to say, I yelled because I was scared and I was fearful. And I want you to know your safety is so important to me. And I felt like that was threatened. So I wasn't angry. I was scared. Yeah. Because I think for many people, we resort to anger and we forget that there's always something that comes before that anger. And I used to do a lecture on this um, at my previous place of employment about anger and anger management and, and how anger is an okay emotion, right? It's healthy, but how we need to really evaluate what's going on underneath all of that which is really where the emotional intelligence comes in right it's very easy for some people to go right away to anger and just believe it's anger but it's really so much underneath yeah which is what we're talking about is that self-awareness and self-discovery and really getting in tune with all emotions right you want to have a a rainbow of emotions not just one yeah and that kind of leads in perfectly to my next question you know your your kind of analogy of the child letting go of your hand and running across the street and the initial reaction to kind of grab them and yell and say don't do that you can't do that I'm pretty sure I've done that at least a hundred times in the last several years (laughs) as my kids are growing up and we're going for walks and bike rides and all of that but then taking the minute to kind of, I'm not mad at you. I'm not angry at you. I was afraid this is dangerous. There's a risk involved, which their brains don't comprehend yet. But taking the time to name that emotion and explain to them why your actions were what your actions were, I think is helpful. And my next question is, can emotional intelligence be taught? Or can it be learned? Absolutely. I believe so. I think that's what we are doing, be it that we're not teaching it by having some inappropriate responses or discouraging people to talk about their feelings, right? Mm -hmm. So we kind of shut that down on some levels. So for me, I believe that we can also teach it at every level. 
So just because as a child, you were discouraged from talking about your emotions and maybe you had to pretend like everything was always fine. Mm -hmm. You know, you put on a clean shirt and a smile and you go conquer the world, but no one knows what you're really feeling in the inside. One of the things that's so important to me in the work I do is, is really trying to help people become the best version of themselves and to really learn how to have a voice because we all have a voice. We just, not all of us know how to use it. Yeah. So one of the ways that we start using it is by getting in touch with our emotions in, you know, how is it affecting our bodies? How is it affecting our sleep, our eating patterns, you know, our health, overall health and well-being and our relationships with other people are usually kind of the, the point where we can kind of calculate how emotionally intelligent we are. I mean, it goes back to that self-awareness, yeah, right? And that understanding of self and being able to kind of key into those things, which is so important. So someone who maybe is young adult, late adult, it doesn't really matter the age. I think anyone can start having their voice and learning what's really going on within their emotions because our thoughts and our emotions and our behaviors are all tied together. Yeah. So if we are quick to dismiss our emotions, then we're going to be quick to not necessarily see the big picture of what our behaviors are doing. Yeah. Right. So if I am constantly relying on anger It means that I'm probably going to react poorly in a situation rather than giving myself a pause, thinking about it, feeling whatever I'm feeling, identifying those feelings, and then calculating what's an appropriate response in this situation rather than just simply reacting. And that will start shifting how we interact with ourselves and other people. Yeah. And part of building that self-awareness, right? Like understanding how you're perceived in the world is you, you need to be able to take in feedback from others with that. You need those friends or adults or teachers or counselors or somebody in your life to say, you know, Sandy, do you realize how you're coming off right now? Like, do you understand that when you react this way, it causes me to become fearful it makes me you know causes me to be angry it makes me sad all of those things like you need to be open to having those discussions too which means you also need to have those people in your life who are willing to have those discussions with you absolutely and I think one of the things that gets in the way is we connect with people on an emotional level right Mm -hmm. but we also then know what it feels like for us to get hurt or sad or feel betrayed so we don't want to put that on somebody else. So then we're, many people are afraid to give that honest feedback. Yeah. And so part of what I explore with people is, no, taking this risk and sharing your truth and what you observe in this person is actually saying, I care about you. Mm-hmm. I love you enough to tell you that this behavior is not healthy. Or this doesn't sit right with me. And that's a huge risk, right? Because that makes us all vulnerable and we struggle with vulnerability. But there's no change unless we can do vulnerability. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's hard. Being vulnerable is hard. Mm-hmm. I know one thing we've done in in our house and with our kids. Our kids are younger yet, but you know, I mean, toddlers and, and preschoolers they're, they're frustrating. We haven't gotten to the teenage years <laughs> yet. I know there's going to be more frustrations, but we've really tried to reframe it in a way of like, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at your behavior. You're not bad. The actions you chose to make are bad or not an appropriate decision or any of those kind of things rather than making the whole person that one thing we're trying to make the behavior that thing so our kids can better understand how that works into the bigger context of our life absolutely and that's so important so important parenting and praise like that's so important like I'm upset with the behavior you chose that is a you know a poor choice a poor decision a bad decision, but you are not a bad person. Yeah. Like you are always going to be loved by me. I will always be there for you right now. I'm upset because you made a poor choice, but you're not a bad person. Yeah. And I think that also comes back to kind of the language we use, not just with other people, but with ourselves. Yeah. It's not all black and white. It's not these absolutes of, you know, we mess up as parents and suddenly if we start telling ourselves that we're horrible parents. (laughs) Been there. Right. (laughs) But if we stuck with that, if you stuck with that, it would be hard to do it differently because you could simply say, well, I'm just a horrible parent. Like, well, what, what else is there? Yeah. But then to have that awareness and then choose to keep going and it's like no I'm not a horrible parent the same as I don't have a horrible kid you know I maybe made a mistake or my child maybe made a mistake but it doesn't make either one of us bad people yeah yeah and that's something that I find myself coming back to as well and even talking with friends is like when they're going through something or I'm going through something and that internal dialogue like if if I was telling you this story of whatever terrible thing just happened in your life, what would the advice that you give me and why are you not giving yourself that advice? Because we're always more harsh on ourselves than we are others. And I I think you're right on there. Like we, that self-talk is where it starts for us. And if we can kind of rein in our self-talk, then we can help our children or our friends or other people in our life kind of learn and grow as well. Absolutely. And I think that starts with emotional awareness, right? Yeah. So I have worked a long time on my inner dialogue as well as with other people on their inner dialogue. And I call it the shitty committee. I don't know if I can say that on the podcast. It's a podcast. There are no rules. (laughs) That's right. But it's it's that voice in our head. It's that constant negative tape that plays. Yeah. And it's because of messages excuse me messages we've received over time or that we have come up with on our own for whatever reason that are very judgmental right we're our biggest critic so we need to be able to take a step back and really evaluate wait a second this isn't necessarily true like yes I made some mistakes parenting right we all do oh yeah but I'm not a bad parent I'm doing the best I can with the skills and knowledge I have right now, mm-hmm. right? There's things 10 years ago that I did that I probably would do differently today simply because I know different. Yeah. And 
allowing ourselves a place of grace. I mean, it goes back to one of your questions of can it be taught? Absolutely, it can be taught because we're always changing. Yes. So as long as someone is willing and open-minded and flexible, of course. And we want, I guess for me, I want people to continue to change and be better and different and be the best version of themselves. So anytime we can get more in touch with our inner self, the better we're going to be as one, but also the better we're going to be for other people, Yeah, be it our families, our employers, our friends, whatever it may be. You know, there's, when I was getting ready to do this podcast about emotional intelligence, there is a whole separate, like, structure design for this in the workplace, which you kind of talked about before like that was what of part of what you did and it talked about how it helps retain your employees for sure and how it makes your team more productive and more successful and and how there's less tension in the workplace yeah and I, I mean, we're kind of covering a couple other questions I had on the list for the interview is one, how can we improve our emotional intelligence at home as adults in our marriages or relationships at work with our boss? And then how can we help our children improve their emotional intelligence? So like, how do we find that in our daily lives? How do we, how do we practice it? How do we learn? How do we keep learning? Well, I have to share something for you as far as like, how do we learn that? Because Daniel got... Goldman is really kind of the guru of yeah. emotional intelligence, right? And one of the things he, a short, a story he tells often, be it in his writing or podcast or whatnot, is the story of belly buddies. Yes. And laying on the floor and putting a stuffed animal on your stomach and watching the rise and the fall of the stuffed animal on your belly. And it's something that he talked about as far as like young school-aged kids. But as I thought more and more about it, I'm like, adults can do that, Mm -hmm. right? We can lay on the floor and find a stuffed animal or whatever it may be and just watch the rise and the fall of your stomach. And it gets us centered. Yeah. It, It gives us a pause. It allows our body to align with our brain. Mm hmm And so it's so important for us to do that. So even throughout your day, to really be able to pause. We live in such a fast-paced world, but to literally be able to pause. Be it take a couple of deep breaths, which you can do while you're at a stoplight. Yeah. You know, or to be aware of your posture and sitting with your back straight and your shoulders back. Those are things that are going to help you be able to breathe. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that a lot of people recognize some of the small adjustments that don't take a lot of time in our day are places to start. Yeah. And it's so go, go, go. So busy, busy, busy. There's always somewhere to be, a deadline that needs to be met, somebody that you're going to offend or upset if you don't get X, Y, or Z done, or you're waiting on something. There's so much pressure coming from every angle. And it sounds kind of kitschy or kind of cheesy, right? To like come back to the breath. 
Um, sounds like maybe something your hippie best friend would tell you to do. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much value in that. I know for me, I was still working 24-hour shifts on the ambulance the first time I tried yoga. And, like, I went to a hot yoga wow. studio, and I don't know what it was, but, like, the connection to your breath, the mind-body connection, something. But, like, that became a routine where I would finish a 24-hour shift, especially if it was a rough one. You'd hit yoga right after. And there was kind of a small group of us that would go, not necessarily all together, um, but it was a similar routine. And so we developed this code. And if we saw one another kind of getting upset or like reaching that point, we would just be like yoga breathing. That was like our code word. Mm. And later on, I um, one of the helpful pieces of advice I received in like a work setting and I then included that in some of my training and presentations and passed that on to several other people is when you go to a team meeting or a planning meeting or some sort of something like that always have a hot beverage with you or any beverage would work really I for me it was usually a coffee um, so if somebody asks you something and you're feeling that I need to respond immediately and maybe it's going to be a a big response or a, a not happy response, like to force yourself to take that pause, take a drink of whatever your beverage is, your coffee, your water, whatever, take a drink, take a breath, take that pause and then respond. Um, otherwise, we're, we can be so quick to respond sometimes without thinking of it. Mm -hmm. And then the words are out of your mouth. And your reaction is out, out of your body right. before you even realize it. And it's hard to pull that back. Absolutely. I mean, it's the same as don't text or email important things, right? Right. right. Like, especially if you disagree, like that's a phone call, mm -hmm. which is hard for people today. But like, that's a phone call because you can't read the inflection in my voice when I send you an email. Yes. But... Even taking that pause and taking that drink, it allows our brain and body to connect better and to be able to respond rather than react. It gives us that moment to understand, okay, what am I actually feeling right now? Yeah. And it, it seems like it's a long process, but it really is very quick in our bodies, right? It's the, the idea of reaction is what many people are used to. So to simply take a, a beverage drink and then respond, it's like, huh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, or it didn't come out, or it gives you a moment to say, okay, take a deep breath, yoga breathing, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it allows you to kind of remind yourself that this is important and this is how I want to respond. And I don't want to react, like take a breath, take a pause, give yourself a time out if you need to. Yeah. Excuse yourself to use the restroom and I'll be right back to answer that question for you or whatever it may be, but to allow that and give yourself that permission. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the text or email because it does feel in a, in a world where we are so connected all the time, there's this pressure to respond, right? Like if I don't answer your question immediately, whether we're sitting in the same room together or it's an email or a text, like if, if it takes more than an hour to respond or more than 10, 15 minutes to respond, sometimes people start to get anxious and they feel ignored. So creating that space for yourself and for other people to have that moment to take that breath before responding or, or that space of like, 
If I don't need an answer in 24 hours, an email is great. A text, maybe I expect something a little bit quicker, but if I need an answer right now, I'm going to walk down to your office, I'm going to pick up the phone, I'm going to do something like that. Um, and then as parents, just giving your kids the space to think about their response as well. Absolutely. I mean, I see that even, wh- I mentioned our kids are younger, but you ask a question and you give about half a second before, and if they're not pr- like looking at you and starting <laughs> to move your lips, you're on them, you're like, I asked you a question, what's your, no, blah, 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 I asked you a question, I asked you a question, why aren't you answering right. me? And it's like, well, I've given them about half a second <laughs> to even think about a response and and reminding even myself to slow down, my husband to slow down and give them the space to answer that question is important. Right. Especially if it involves emotion. Yeah. Because young children are still trying to figure out what am I actually feeling? Yeah. Right. So that if you're asking them a question and if it has to do with feeling, that makes it more complicated. So their brains just don't fire like that. So it's important to allow them you know, a breath <laughs> before we get on them of why aren't you responding to me? Are you even listening to me? Yeah. And I know we're, we'll cover it in later podcasts when we have Lindsay Lowy with us, but just that screen time and how that messes with our brain functioning. Yeah, it's crazy the impact that has on our brain and our children's brain. And I'm really looking forward to that episode. Yes, so am I. So one last question for you on emotional intelligence. For anyone looking to learn or understand more about emotional intelligence and the role it plays in our lives, do you have any recommendations for where they can go? Well, I mentioned him earlier. Um, Daniel Goleman, he has wonderful articles out there on the Harvard Business Review, but he also of course, wrote the book on emotional yeah. intelligence. He also, and I don't know if you know this, but he just recently started his own podcast. I just learned that over the weekend, actually. I'm really excited to listen to it. Yes. So I believe, and I don't have my notes in front of me, but I think it's called The Plural Noun. Uh, the, oh, yes, it's. And I can get you the information so we can put it on with the. Yes, we'll have it in the show notes for sure. It's it was a really clever name like the yeah, something like that. It means we. Right. But it yeah, it's a really clever name the way that they named it. But we'll definitely have it linked in the show notes as well. Yeah, but super exciting. Um, And he's on other podcasts, obviously, too. Um, I know he has a, a short, I think, 30 minute with Oprah Ooh. on her Super Soul Sunday um, podcast. And I know that there's. Um, a more recent one with Dax Shepard, the armchair expert. Love so that one. I know me as well. So really, I mean, if you just even Google emotional intelligence, you will find so much beautiful information on the topic. First person plural. There you go. That's the one. First person plural. I knew we'd get it eventually, right? We had to take a breath. That's right. Yeah. So I think he, ha- I mean, he's really kind of the, m- mastermind behind it and just listening to him explain it the different types of empathy the four components um they did switch it from five components to four components so some of the information our listeners are gonna find are gonna have five components don't get confused with like this must be wrong it's just simplicity yes of course over time but yeah he's kind of the person to listen to yeah he is, and he's really fun to listen to, he too. He is. He's very fun to listen to, and he's funny. Yes. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us on episode one of your series and talking about emotional intelligence. I know I learned a ton. I hope our listeners find it valuable and I hope they tune in for episode two. Me too. It was very nice to be a part of this. Thank you again.